Canada. not something that I did myself. I went to get a haircut. Jenna, take responsibility for your straight hair. <laughs> it was done to her. Jenna has big, guys, it was wild. Bountiful, beautiful curls, and I've never seen it straight except for like very old awkward photos of you when you were a preteen. Mm. So it was, it was very overwhelming like, and she cut it very short because I had a bunch of dead hair and I never get my hair cut. And now when my hair dries, it dries in this like triangular like entity. Um, what's, the, shade, what's the shade, character yeah. is that from Daria or or Doug that girl like the punk looking girl oh, with the triangle Jane Who's, what's yeah. she from yeah there is a triangle looking head on a character in Daria with her best friend Jane mm-hmm. I think it's Doug I'm thinking of <laughs> well, that's the most exciting thing that's happened to us Jenna had her hair straightened this week we're all a bunch yeah, of fucking was very exciting maybe we'll for post me. a photo but no one oh my cares gosh, can we please the, the people need to see um, this people. week I found a um, you know how I showed you guys okay so I found a muskrat skull and some bones in the woods mm-hmm. and I sent you guys that picture right but I posted yeah. it on Reddit in like the skulls subreddit I was like yo I found this skull is it actually a muskrat and it's not a muskrat it's um what is it's it? like the giant version of a muskrat and they're called nutrias or copies and they were actually they're not indigenous to north america they were actually brought over um and brought to louisiana i think originally and they were <laughs> what is it called um, nutrios nutria <laughs> or a copy Oh my god, you discovered this fucking animal. It's so fucking weird, but it's like they're an invasive species now in North America because they were brought over to be used in farms for fur, for fashion and shit, and then they kept escaping and people kept releasing them after they realized that they were just giant shitheads. So now, especially in Louisiana, they're just rampant. They're just these crazy giant muskrat rodents that are like all over the place and apparently now in Ontario as well. I don't also known as swamp rat rats yeah. it says here. Yeah, they're also known as a swamp rat. You should post <laughs> That it. accurately describes me. <laughs> you should you should post the skull on like a stick to warn other copios. I should. I'll be like this is what I do with invasive species. Can you bring I it to the cottage? Gather their skulls. Um yeah, if you really really want me to. <laughs> Good for you, Ainsley. Yeah, it was super. It that. was interesting to learn about that because I didn't even know that this species existed. Just this this giant form of the muskrat that's invasive. I get very confused with that whole like species. Like I feel like they all look the rodents, similar. The rodents, yeah, the species. rodents, the rodents. Yeah, there are so yeah, many. Yeah, like muskrats and ground I've got some rodent species and... in my house. Hmm. Wait, what? I got I got mice. Oh, oh. <laughs> I got crap. 
For some reason, <laughs> Sonia, when you said that you had rodents in your house, like I immediately pictured like a capybara just hanging out in your living room. <laughs> and I was like, wait, no, 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 no. This is not where your mind should be going. I remember reading about capybaras on how stuff works like a really long time ago. Cause like, didn't the Mexicans think they were like a little vampire creature? <laughs> I do not. No, that's, that's chupacabra, yeah, that's isn't different. it? Oh, <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Damn. No, capybaras are just giant rodents. Jesus. They just keep getting bigger and bigger, a, don't they? This is what I'm saying. Creature. All rodents, they all look similar. There are it's so true. many of them. It's true. That's, Easily, that's what it means to be a species. You can't distinguish between a muskrat and a chupacabra. Nutria is not a good word for yeah, an no, animal. I don't, it sounds like a brand of graham, graham cracker Yeah, or I don't like it either. I would have to agree with you there. All right. I am doing the double-double this week. It's an honor. Thank you. Um, Lay it on me. Lay it on us. Jenna, calm down and just (laughs) be free. (laughs) The two top trending tweets in Canada this week. Are you guys ready for the first one? I'm ready. I'm so ready. I think so. Mmm. Coffee. Hashtag Jordan Peterson. He's back. Really? He's back. Oh, wait, I knew that. So is JP back. is back. He posted Again. an emotional new video. It was. It's just called, I looked it <laughs> up on YouTube, it's just called Return Home. Um, <laughs> I still haven't watched it because I fear it. It's like eight minutes long. He basically is like, I'm alive after my lengthy medical treatment. And he looks so sad. He's like teary-eyed. Is he very skinny now? He looks like similar He's a little more skeletal yeah, than kind usual, of like but he doesn't look like particularly unhealthy. Yeah, just wondering if, you know, physically you saw, you could detect any changes after all his ordeals. Not really, but he did look a little more, I don't know. Half of the video was him expressing like deep gratitude for his friends and family. And he like, as he was naming them all, he was showing quick photos of them. And then the last half of the video, <laughs> he was really talking about weird. how he's working on his next book. <laughs> And he's planning on doing a new video series um, on the second book of the Bible, Exodus. And he said, with God's grace and mercy, I'll be able to start generating original material once again and pick up where I left off. Good for him. His religious stuff is his best. Like, just, you know, stay away from the culture war stuff and you'll be fine. That's really funny that he was just posting pictures of his family members. Like, it seems like a YouTube video that, like, my aunt would make or something and post on (laughs) Facebook, you know? Imagine him, like, choosing the pictures and making his little slideshow. (laughs) If you ever want to humanize someone, just imagine them making a PowerPoint. Yeah, with, like, star transitions and shit. Yeah, I feel my I'm absolute my lowest when I'm making a PowerPoint. Like, it's such a yeah, it's, it's really soul crushing. And I it's so easy, but so well. hard. Yeah, it t- it yeah you so can't help long. but be like, this font doesn't look that yeah. good. And then you change yeah. it and you're like, I don't even know how to make a fucking fire. Like, and then you finish it and complete the presentation. And you, you're like, who the fuck am I? I don't even know anymore. <laughs> Hi, I'm, oh my God, Ainsley Ross making a PowerPoint. Yeah, see, like, I, I just can't. had to do a half an hour long um, presentation on Monday on peatland degradation and rewetting. And I was just like, mm. are people going to want to shoot themselves when I say this stuff? Like, this is, you guys the, are going to have know. to watch me make one this weekend because I have to record audio. So, oh my Wait, God. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. It's on. Oh my God. I'm taking this class that's essentially just like a three month long fucking job orientation. It's just like leadership styles and like employee Ugh. productivity, etc. 
Um, it's awful, but so it's it's, yeah, it it's on that. I'm so excited to like, help you. I do not want to watch that this weekend. <laughs> you know you're gonna <laughs> so have to I watch will... me struggle to talk about it. Oh I'm my doing. god! Okay, <laughs> Michaela Peterson, because I'm just browsing the Jordan Peterson t- hashtag, got demonetized from YouTube, and Spotify's not uploading the Joe Rogan episodes with her in it. This fucking censorship! I will not stand for it. Let Michaela speak. Yeah. And if she wants to tell everyone she only eats meat, then that's fine. (laughs) We have to get her on. We 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 will. Yeah, that's actually... Let me write that down on my to-do list. (laughs) (laughs) Sonia's just going to flip through her Rolodex and give her a call. (laughs) (laughs) I picture Sonia with a Rolodex. Me too. I don't know why she doesn't have one. (laughs) Better get one. Sonia, get a fucking Rolodex. Next hashtag. Hashtag Borat. Oh, yeah. I am in love with Sasha Baron Cohen, and I think <laughs> oh he is God, one of the too. biggest yes. geniuses of our time. Like, literally, that's the way I feel about him. I'm so in love with him. I mean, the first Borat was excellent, one of the greatest, most iconic like comedies ever. Yeah. But like, Bruno was meh, and everything after that, I feel like Bruno not so was good. funny. And then like the Dictator or whatever was just an actual movie, and I was like, I don't care about this. But the Ali G it show wasn't good. Um, th- was very that funny. is the best show on TV. But I think recently he's trending now too because of that like Giuliani shit, right? Where he like yes. um, honey trapped Giuliani and then there's like a literal video of him lying down on a bed and like reaching into his pants with like this girl that he thinks is 15 in the room and shit. And he's like, no, I was just talking in my shirt. Like- yeah. So there's, so this, it was quite strategic um, because Borat is going to be released on Amazon Prime tomorrow, Friday. Borat too. And yeah, they, and Ainsley said the former New York mayor and now the current personal attorney to Trump was shown in a very bad light. Um, and I guess, yeah, like, so they have him in this like hotel room with this, an, an actress who's posing as Borat's 15 year old daughter. And they got him in a hotel room with like secret cameras. And he started like fiddling and untucking his shirt. And then apparently Borat like interrupted and r- ran in and was like, she's 15. She's too old for you. <laughs> Um, what I was thinking, how it, like, because they would have got this footage a while ago, and no, like both Rudy Giuliani and uh, Sasha Baron Cohen knew that was coming out. Like he must have been so fucking scared for that to come out. Yeah, yeah like I guess. But sitting it's also on that. like Giuliani also posted like a huge thread of tweets too, being like, "This is false news. This is yeah. entrapment." Like, but well, he would have like, known this is that literally was the for a while. best promotional material for this fucking movie that you could be doing. Like, why are you doing it now so that? more people see the movie like you should have been saying this before yeah like, i mean like i guess uh word of the incident first emerged on july 7th because giuliani called the new york police to report the intrusion in the hotel room and he was quoted <laughs> saying this guy comes running in wearing a crazy what i would say was a pink transgender outfit it was a pink <laughs> bikini with lace underneath a translucent mess top it looked absurd he had the beard bare legs and wasn't what i would call distractingly attractive oh my god um, and then he said i only later realized it must have been sasha baron cohen i thought about all the people he previously fooled and i felt good about myself because he didn't get me and uh, then now you've yeah. been got well buddy yeah boy. and they're they're obviously trying to uh they released it before the election strategically mm. which is good i guess if you aren't going for that team do you think borat 2 will be good i think i think so. it will not be but i, I so. hope it is 
I think it'll but be Bruno great. Bruno was so bad and everything he's done. There was this movie came the out. The Bruno character is that funny. Yeah, the Bruno though. character's not that funny. Yeah. Yeah. I like um, Borat. Yeah, I guess so. Uh, but there was like a movie, like it was like a mockumentary that he came out with a few years ago and people were recommending it to me and I watched the first five minutes and it was so bad I had to turn it off. I was like, this is terrible. And I was like, well, RIP. He did that like an American thing too, didn't he? That little like mini show or whatever that came out and he was like a like a fitness instructor and then like other shit. Yeah, I don't know. That was funny. I, don't know. I, I have, I'm very fond of the Borat character, so I have yeah, high hopes. Too. But so do I. My wife. <laughs> my sister's hang like wizard sleeves. <laughs> so bad. I had, a, I had a my wife Cards Against Humanity card like a couple of weeks ago, and I held on to it the whole game. I'm like, this is an easy win. It's so <laughs> funny, and I didn't win, and I was so pissed. I'm like, it's so fucking funny because it's so not what? funny, and it's come full circle. Yeah, it's come full circle. I was come like, on. I thought that was a guaranteed win. <laughs> it would have been if I were there. <laughs> I know, I know, I thought of you. My wife. Like my real friend would have chosen that. yeah <laughs> cards against humanity is bad for that you like miss like your true friends when you yeah. play with like yeah. not that these people I've never played it. Like, you don't understand me man yeah you're like my real friends would think i was funny <laughs> the the whole my wife thing was reminding me too dylan and i have been uh watching all the original leprechaun movies this week and he just always says like me bride or me gold and I we just keep saying it to each other and we can't stop I'll be like where's me boon (laughs) it's just getting so irritating like the Borat jokes did (laughs) for a while there (laughs) I actually time for the Borat jokes to come back I saw a funny tweet too where it was like um I forget what it was really saying but it was like Back in the day before we had internet and all the memes, men just used to sit around in a room and quote Borat to each other. And I was like, that is fucking accurate. <laughs> that and fucking Pineapple Express. Maybe they're not on the same tier. All yeah, <laughs> like I know. pretty silent. Maybe that was just a personal like. I mean, thing people that- quote lots of movies. <laughs> like, if you're gonna choose a Judd Apatow, I would go like super bad, maybe quotably. Yeah. Pineapple Express. I think I was like, just surrounded by this is all anecdotal <laughs> and by one man end, in grade eight who I had like to do a project with for weeks on end with, and he is the only one who I've heard quote that. So I need to know who this person is. Uh, I'll tell you later. <laughs> okay, good. Okay, so I guess I'll get into the first topic then if we're done with that, unless anyone else has any more comments. <laughs> <laughs> Very nice. <laughs> I, I want a few more of those guys. Come on, a little more Borat, some more Borat quotes, please. Pamela. My wife. <laughs> my wife. My wife. <laughs> Fuck. Okay. You can never get it. You can never get it. <laughs> <laughs> that was good. <laughs> oh my god. See, funny every time. Sonia, a son- Ugh, what do you say? What Sonia said this episode was before you start. What do you mean? It's a Nova Scotia sandwich. Oh yes, this episode is a Nova Scotia sandwich. I don't didn't want to say this. You'll soon find I'm being out why. Forced to say this. <laughs> so our first story, aka the first layer of bread at the bottom, I guess, because I'm I'm building this Sammy from the yeah, ground up. Bottom layer, I like um, that. The bottom Tasty. layer of the bread is her first story, which takes place in Nova Scotia. So I just said being tasty. Hens. Seriously. Ah. I okay. wonder if the top one takes place in Nova Scotia. <laughs> yeah, let's continue this sandwich metaphor. I like okay, it. Okay, so... Uh, 
So the first layer of bread here is our first oh story. <laughs> you have to say it again. <laughs> yeah, we do. <laughs> I just mean for like the rest of the people. <laughs> I'm dying here, Jenna. Uh, Why do you have to say this? Okay, so our first story takes place. Bread. Takes place. Why am I introducing it like a fairy tale? <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. Okay, so our first story, um, it's happening in Nova Scotia currently, (laughs) and for the past couple of weeks in Digby County, or region, I can't remember which, but um, essentially what's happening is that all, uh, there's a huge lobster fishing um, economy in Nova Scotia, and what's happening right now is that uh, Mi'kmaq fishermen out there have set up a small lobster fishery on the coast where other uh, white commercial fishermen uh, also fish for lobsters. So that's caused a lot of tension. Um, And they opened up their fishery mid-September and there has been a lot of crazy shit that's happened since. The Mi'kmaq fishermen have been like harassed. They've been victims of a myriad of violent crimes and property damage crimes. There was one instance where a wharf was completely set on fire and a fisherman's boat was completely destroyed. More recently, they set fire to the entire lobster fishery, which isn't even Mi'kmaq property. They rent it out for their fishing. They've lit cars on fire. They've hurled insults the white fishermen have and it's just getting pretty crazy out there so on one side we have commercial fishermen in the area who claim that indigenous people are abusing the ocean and overfishing and stealing their livelihood not following conservation regulations blah 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 and on the other side we have like a very tiny amount of indigenous fishers claiming they're not at all doing any of those things and they are 100 percent the victim of hate crimes so the problem is from my understanding the off season right so there's regulations for lobster fishing out east um they've been developed over a long time and there's this kind of rule that you don't fish in the off season for commercial purposes uh, for conservation reasons yeah. yeah so pretty much the tension here is that uh treaty 1752 states that Mi'kmaq fishermen can they have a treaty right to fish wherever and whenever they want for quote-unquote a moderate livelihood and that was created by the government as a way to allow indigenous fishing to continue perhaps not with the same parameters as commercial fishing because it's on like a much smaller scale but the like ambiguity of stating that without giving a proper definition was kind of meant for local and provincial governments to kind of step in and regulate when needed. So that's why the tension exists right now is because there is no definition for quote unquote a moderate livelihood and the commercial fishermen are arguing that what they're doing is not a moderate livelihood fishing and then the indigenous people are saying no well it is because it's tiny and this is what we're doing you know. So there's been calls on the provincial government and the federal government to come in and kind of say okay like give us a definition so that this stops fucking happening but that hasn't happened yet yeah like it seems like the government really dropped the ball on this because again indigenous people do have the right to fish but once they get into the commercial aspect of it i do understand the argument that then they have to follow the laws that all commercial fishermen 
are following. Mm -hmm. It's debatable for sure, but I do get that point. Mm -hmm. So this is obviously causing a conflict because like just for context, there's not a lot of private sector jobs out east. Like it's like lobster fishing or Mm -hmm. you die. So yeah. And they've set up these (laughs) rules that no one's allowed to uh, fish off season. And then uh, it's being perceived that indigenous people are kind of getting like an an unfair advantage in that sense, Mm -hmm. because no one's disputing that they can fish to support themselves. But then once you're kind of like doing a business, then don't you have to maybe follow the same laws as other businessmen? So these fishermen, non-indigenous fishermen are on EI in the off season. And then they're seeing, hey, but they get to fish commercially when we've all agreed not to. So I just, everyone's been saying this has been an inevitability for a long time. Yeah. Like the government had Absolutely. more than 10 years to define and, and indigenous fishermen wanted the government to define it. Like the indigenous fishermen and the non-indigenous fishermen, except for the, you know, bastards who did the violent stuff. Um, they want the same thing. They want regulations and they want to know exactly what they're able to do and they want to be able to figure it out. But the government's just been silent. Yeah, And like and so Trudeau happened. did publicly make like a two minute long video or announcement or whatever calling for the violence to stop and for (laughs) peace and love and whatever and promise to work with both sides to kind of come up with a solution and the federal government also said that they were going to start funneling more like police and shit down there just to take care of everything but that hasn't been seen yet and it's just kind of questionable as to whether or not that will happen jag actually jaggy boy (laughs) he tore trudeau apart like publicly and like posted about it being like these are empty words fuck that what the white fishermen are doing are terrorist attacks like blah 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 all the shit so it's not really clear right now what the fuck's gonna happen because the violence is continuing so i don't understand like why nothing is happening yet <laughs> it's like well i think they have like i know at least with that fire the arson they did arrest people mm-hmm. um and like from what i've read there's been like kind of eerie calm since then they did deploy more uh, RCMP to the area and they're like investigating and charges are being like filed all the time. So I don't think that they're not doing anything. I think the issue was that when the fire was happening, that they seemed like they weren't taking enough action. It's not even they just deploy enough. People. It's not even just the fire, though. It's like it like that's like an act of like destroying property or whatever. Like you can watch the videos on YouTube. It's literally like 200 men, strong armies of white fishermen coming down the road and just like pushing people, punching people, screaming at people threatening people damaging their cars pissing everywhere and harassing them and yelling out threats and shit and the cops just stand there because there's not enough of them what are they going to do wage a war against 200 people no they have to kind of just stand there and do nothing which sucks and they're doing some pretty crazy shit like i i have this list of a bunch of shit that they did there are groups forming on facebook up there trying to petition for residential schools to reopen for them there's physical altercations with rcmp trying to push push past them so they're even fucking with the rcmp um they lit an indigenous man's truck on fire after pouring things into his gas tank and also pissing on it for good measure they trapped indigenous men inside that structure that they set on fire the night before and told them they'd burn them out if they didn't go outside to be beaten and like put out all of their lobsters um they chased away all media so media couldn't film so they wouldn't be held accountable for anything they also accused a woman of casting a spell on them because she was talking in her indigenous language 
They stole all their lobsters. They returned them back into the ocean. They killed some of them. They took all the lobster traps and piled them on top of the steps in like the government building in their town. Like it's fucking nuts. And it is a terrorist attack. Like that is fully what it fucking is. They're trying to intimidate indigenous fishers to fuck off with violence. Like it's fucked. Yeah, it's unacceptable. Uh, But like, again, to contextualize, there's like a larger contingent of peaceful protests and non-Indigenous fishermen who have been trying to get this settled for a really long time using peaceful methods. I'm sure that they're like these fucking guys just completely threw our credibility out the window. Right. Um, and again, it's unacceptable. There's no excuses. I haven't seen anyone condone this these actions. But um, this is what happens when you have these gray areas. Like we talked about the tow truck wars in the summer. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing. People have been killed over the past couple of years in Toronto over these tow truck shit because there's a lot of money to be made these people don't have a lot of options and there's not good regulation Mm -hmm. so like crime comes in to fill the gaps not excusing anyone for for doing anything but i'm just saying like as a phenomenon the government bears a lot of responsibility for allowing this to happen i think it's awful as well but i think it's also important like when you do list all those infractions it sounds so bad and it is bad but like sonia was saying that's going to be a very small group of people and you can do that with but it's not a small group of people it was 200 people a mob swarming the fishery and intimidating them it was all of them it wasn't just one or two that with any protest and like it depends on what side you're on and that like there's always going to be that and i'm not saying that's okay but you can't discredit their entire point because of a group of. i'm not discrediting discrediting their point i understand that something needs to be done where they define what is allowed and what isn't and come to a peaceful agreement between the two groups but can you imagine if 200 muslim people surrounded a fuck something else they'd be like oh terrorism well well, they did and they did do that with like like, with many of the black lives matters protest that like like some people are going to focus on the people that were looting and being violent that were on the black lives matter side it's going to be a similar situation that there's always going to be people you can point to that are acting in ways like that like i mean there are people that they arrested that are responsible for like the more intense shit like lighting fires and like fucking entrapping people but like it's literally you can watch the videos it's hundreds of people and they're all fighting the rcmp they're all pushing the indigenous people they're all hurling threats it's not just one or two people it's hundreds it's unacceptable but again it's like of course it is but it's like it's like if this were a different group it's like well it often is a different there's group, like a, too. Like, it, they just happen to be white people. That's what I was going to say. Like, unfortunately, crime is high in Indigenous communities, in some Indigenous communities, because of the lack of economic opportunity. And I say the exact same thing. It's not okay. It's not okay to, to kill your partner. It's not okay to, like, do armed robbery. But, like, as a phenomenon, for the government to be like, oh, they're just racist, fuck them. It's like, no, you bear uh, responsibility for creating these conditions. Yeah, absolutely. I just do think there is a responsibility that has to be put on those people as well because it's fucking despicable the amount I of think that it exists though like I haven't seen any anyone like being like hell yeah this is great like I really haven't and it's like in terms of like again there being another group like there was a, a beheading in France yeah, <laughs> like last fuck, week that was nuts. and I saw liberals being like well maybe he shouldn't have shown the cartoon and I'm oh like what no beheading <laughs> is not okay <laughs> But then again, like those acts of terror um, come because of all the destabilization in the Middle East. So it's like, I think that we can sort of denounce the actions of the violent relative few. I mean, we can argue how few it is and also understand that this is just what happens when societies are unequal. Yeah, I guess I just 
it just seems crazy to me that if a society is unequal like do you go and set fire to shit and like piss on but, people's but cars do, and like, say that they're accuse them of casting spells on you because they speak a different language and you like this is racism and, and it's in its finest right but racism and it's mass can ra- arguably exist because of like the inequalities in society and like Sonia was saying I'm, I'm not arguing why it exists or not no, I I'm know, just but saying I mean, like, even, even like the spell casting thing is like anecdotal there's always fucking assholes in there and there's of course there's racist people but they're like it's a lot easier to act that way or to be mad at a group of people by making them other than so that's just like another form like i don't think all of them are racist that's not the point i'm trying to make i don't think all of them are prejudiced either i do think all of them are part of a mob mentality Mm -hmm. and doing things that they shouldn't be fucking doing whatever intention they have in doing it i think it's just out of curiosity but then what would you say to someone saying that about like indigenous people who commit a disproportionate amount of crimes but like i'm talking about this situation like the indigenous people in this situation aren't going over to white fisheries and lighting them on fire and surrounding them in a mob that's not happening but they are (laughs) they are committing other crimes and people would say that they'd be like well they just shouldn't do it like well they're just i know but like if i'm not trying to pinpoint other crimes that happen i'm talking about just the thing right now the thing that's happening you know what i mean like i'm not gonna say that like indigenous people are responsible in this certain situation because they commit high rates of other crimes in different instances on different days like that has nothing to do with what we're talking about well i think just in terms of like being able to solve the problem understanding why it happens and i think that It can lead to the same mentality when instead of really pinpointing the root cause of the problem and like holding the people in power to account, which in this case would be the government and even the big commercial fishery, the big, big, big guy, Clearwater, um, which also kind of gets like ignored, right? And in stories like this, and everyone just kind of pins it on the non-Indigenous fishermen, again, denouncing the guys who did the violence. But the fishermen in this case are working class. They are up to their eyeballs in debt and they are also suffering. So it's like, how do we help both out and and I watched an interview with the chief of the nation there and the leader of the uh, fishermen there. I'm sure there's a technical way of putting that that I don't know. And to their credit, I mean I know it's all PR, but they were both like, we don't blame each other, we blame the government. Mm-hmm. We need regulation. The indigenous people were very fucking patient. They've been trying to get the government to sort this out for so long, and finally they were just like, fuck it, we're just yeah, gonna it's fucking been such yeah. a long time. Yeah, fuck it, we're just gonna fish. And I think they even called it like moderate livelihood fishery or something like that to really like get the point across. And again, with the non-Indigenous fishermen, the, the many who weren't violent, who were trying to get the government to be like, look, set some rules or, you know, if they're allowed to fish out of season, can you give us a few licenses too? Or it's either all or nothing or like what's going on? Yeah, we need some there is truly no excuse for the government to have not intervened to yeah, a certain level. Like Trudeau insane. can put a like nice little speech up for two minutes, but I mean, there can't even be, I mean, I, I actually haven't looked that much into it. You guys know way more about this, but I hope that there's no like uh, justifying from the government being like, well, there's a lot happening right now, like with COVID and stuff, because at least from my experience in the government, like, there are so many staff members like bureaucratic and not bureaucratic who like specifically in the ministry of an environment conservation and parks who are not doing anything right now because nothing has been really affecting them so like those people better be like writing up a shit ton of policy and like getting this in order and the rcmp should i think also be stepping up more too 
why yeah. why are the rcmp the, barely... the like the local rcmp knew about everything <clears throat> and even earlier on before all the fires happened and everything the Mi'kmaq released that they were in a state of emergency the day after they opened their fishery because they were already receiving hundreds of threats like violence in the streets people like spitting at them and shit and they did that state of emergency and then when the fire of their fishery happened the news agencies were calling like the provincial rcmp and the provincial rcmp didn't even fucking know anything was going on at all so it's like what the fuck where is this communication like not happening for the protection of these people yeah. for the rcmp and they like what's happening they would have had to have known not maybe to the extent that it happened they would have known that conflict was going to come like prior to opening the fisheries it wasn't like the day of they're like oh people are upset about this obviously people knew this was going to happen so you think there would have been like preventative measures the boys need to get their shit together that's all yeah. I have to say. In terms of like why hasn't there been policy made? I know I read one article that said like Clearwater is a huge corporate fishery, which has fucked over the non-indigenous fishermen and the indigenous fishermen. And uh, it might be in their interest to keep the regulations vague because then they can participate in the off-season fishing yeah. a little bit. So that was a little bit of a theory about why the government is dragging its like feet they, on like, this so much. Them. And there are ties between Clearwater and the liberal government. Right. I mean, usually when you follow the money, you get your answers. So I'm kind of like inclined to believe that yeah. yeah just something needs to be fucking done like more rcmp needs to be sent down there there should be a meeting with like the chief like a representative from the commercial fishermen and corporations or whatever they're involved in that and the government like now should happen weeks ago you know like someone's gonna die soon like canada is such a resource rich country which is wonderful but then we're not doing a very good job of like taking care of the people yeah. who develop those resources for us indigenous or non-indigenous mm-hmm. like it's valuable work and it's just treated like shit because it's not like toronto urban center fucking like consulting bullshit yeah. this should have more value more attention fishermen shouldn't be going into massive debt, making fucking poverty level wages, having to go on EI on the off season. And indigenous fishermen shouldn't have to fucking fight for over a decade and then have to set like this up and then have to experience all this. Fishery, yeah. yeah, and have to experience all this conflict. Um, like, again, all of this is just such a clusterfuck. And uh, I'm, I'm just going to say again, I blame the government. I blame the government too. Me too. Fuck the government. Okay, so I'm going to be the baloney part of the sandwich. Um, the cultural appropriation. Bologna is kind of like culturally appropriating real meat, right? Um, no, I don't know. <laughs> I loved it. I loved it. Continue. Roll with that. So imagine you're in a store. No, imagine you're on a website and you're looking at this <laughs> listicle, nine sustainable indigenous owned brands. And you think, hell yeah, I want to support that company. <laughs> Say it's someone named Chloe Angus. But then you find out that she is not indigenous. She's a liar. She's a harlot. <laughs> Kill her. Burn her. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah chloe angus is a fashion designer in canada she's marketed her, her company as partially indigenous owned uh, and that's been kind of like her brand for a while but records show she is the sole owner of her company and she is not indigenous however her husband is metis she says it's the personal growth of my husband and his own personal journey and reclaiming his rightful metis heritage Jeez, so please. what say you to this claim first of all port of tfl first of all i just want to say like if somebody owns a company, that doesn't mean shit. Like, I could own a fucking football team. That doesn't mean that I have any say on the plays they make. Since when did ownership condone you being able to do whatever you want based on whatever the owner says or does or is? 
I don't get that. Personally, I mean, even if my partner was indigenous, I just would not feel comfortable reproducing anything that was like a culture's <laughs> yeah. that wasn't mine. Like I just wouldn't because I'd be like, I would I'm definitely gonna fuck this up. And I'm and definitely gonna get shit on. Even- but because I also I also just can't relate to it on that level. Like I I don't have this traditional mentality of like whatever those cultural practices and like designs, artwork, whatever. Also where, like, to I go don't as- feel as much toward that also like to be as bold as to apply for like indigenous grants again <laughs> I, I don't <laughs> even yeah like it's like i i don't have too much like it's i guess it's not funny but it's just like oh my god this lady is it's just so cringy funny. like like if i take out all the like political and like awful aspects of it i'm like that's just embarrassing <laughs> to be her and then to like apply for grants for indigenous owned business. i agree with that so it's one thing when she said the metis thing her husband is metis i was like wow like okay so she's like, like trying yeah, very hard to like lean into whatever. that it's the same <laughs> so actually i will say though so her argument was that she licenses her designs from indigenous designers so, so she's like a middleman she licenses the prints from indigenous sorry so she's a middleman i guess um well i mean in a way but she's the one who kind of like gets the glory and most of the profits she does give royalties to the indigenous designers so a couple were like fine with they found a couple and they were like yeah i don't care she can say it's indigenous other indigenous designers obviously disagree they say this isn't cool i don't know what do you think is that does that make it better for you or are you like no i don't know i think the basis of it if you built a house with fucking lies then (laughs) (laughs) wow i mean yeah it's a house you can fucking live in it but is it is it the best is it the (laughs) is it the ideal house yeah exactly is is it the house you want to live in probably not like i'm sure that these indigenous artists who she's getting licenses who she's licensed um their prints or whatever i'm sure after finding this out a lot of them were probably i don't i don't i think they knew like they're they they knew who they're dealing with like she's like a white lady like it's very clear she even says her business is like marketed but the news is that it came out that her husband isn't even an owner and he was like the basis for the like indigenous it just point it, of it seems right? like some of the people that work with her like don't care like even when directly asked they don't seem to mind like so yeah which might just be a money issue too right, right? it's like if i'm getting the money then whatever yeah right? uh, for for me i'm like there might be an issue with like what grants she can apply for i think like you can't mm. stop her from doing it it's just like i said it's just kind of embarrassing and like i would probably feel shitty as well if i was indigenous but not to the point that it's like she's not the only person doing that and it's not that that makes it okay but at least it's a little bit like obvious the amount of companies Mm. that rip off indigenous designs is like that's like tribal patterns are like a fucking trend like it's it is what it is yeah i agree it's like morally like not good but at the same time it's like there's not much you can't regulate no. it i no. mean then you'd have to like make everything illegal right. yeah. <laughs> Literally um, everything. And, and it's it's you get into like blurry blurry shit of course it's like there's so many um like you know you've got on a scale of like the worst to the least bad of cultural appropriation you've got like the worst being like the white chicks at coachella who would wear like the um native headdresses i feel like that's kind of like the symbol of like when it's just like the worst and then to like people making arguments that wearing gold hoop earrings is appropriation Mm -hmm. and that's where i'm just like no shut the fuck up that's stupid i guess um Um, picasso always had that that nice quote that could apply to us like good art is copied great art is stolen so yeah 
damn Picasso yeah, yeah I don't see how you can um, regulate it <laughs> outside of like maybe like she can't get those grants but like they look into that they must have known I don't think she I don't think there's any evidence of her lying yeah, about her heritage weird. yeah let's talk about the yeah. grants because a lot that's of grants so I agree the grant is where I would definitely draw the line that's not okay but the problem is that's how like all grants and applications and everything are phrased now do you identify right. as da 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 right so you know so like, it's I like, identify as <laughs> <laughs> am i it perhaps not wink wink <laughs> well that's how you get like you know your rachel dolezals like i said there was like yeah, it yeah. was like the summer of um there was all these discoveries that all these white academics yeah, so um weird. were were claiming to be black and then it was found out that they weren't and i was like i guess transracial is taking off now Apparently. and it's like this is what happens when identity is a commodity mm-hmm. it's like marginalized groups have this asset forget forgive me for being crude about it where a very small proportion of them can kind of use it to their advantage and use it as like a brand or they can sell themselves as like a spokesperson or whatever mm-hmm. in this fucked up like capitalist system where everything eventually becomes monetized yep. And so this isn't. This was also inevitable, and this is why I wanted this to be the middle of the sandwich because I saw it as, um, in a way, sharing some themes with the previous story, where it's like everyone's competing for scarce resources and like if someone is using your thing like obviously you're gonna like attack them, um, and people are gonna use the whatever they can to try to get ahead. So in this case, marketing yourself as indigenous can benefit you mm-hmm. and and yeah, it's she very, very weird I, I, again i don't want to like say what she's doing is okay necessarily but again she is probably closer to it being acceptable than some other people like yeah she's not like yeah. one of Paltrow. like when and i her- first like <laughs> when i first read the story i was like ooh, bad girl but then i read some stuff and i'm like okay she's still like full of shit but i can see how she was kind of yeah. trying to like massage it to and, like and, and i guess it. like <laughs> she sure. has children who would be indigenous heritage her her husband obviously and she is like working with indigenous people again not amazing but like at least <laughs> like she, she, she's probably immersed in the culture somewhat we don't yeah. like you but yeah. we I mean, <laughs> again, super embarrassing and cringy on her part. <laughs> There's no. It is embarrassing, but it's like also that's just kind of a cover that's been drawn down in this one instance, right? How many other corporations or how many other things are the same thing, right? They're just it's just kind of like this loophole or this winding river around certain things that they sell that they may not fully be a part of or fully represent, but they they use it and we buy it. Yeah, like why fair trade. Coffee. Yeah, like yeah, what was the shit in the article? Or like eco-friendly everything. Yeah, organic. Fifty-year-old like white women who buy her design, her clothing too. Didn't she, she like claim like that? Yeah, yeah, she said something like that. She wanted to make it like more palatable to white ladies. So that's another thing Yikers. that um, the indigenous designers. were like, she's like watering down our shit and making a profit, yeah. and it's like, yeah, totally. Like I agree that that's super annoying but that's fucking that's the system man like everything is like white ladies aren't gonna buy authentic indigenous apparel i mean if they did they'd probably get in trouble right (laughs) so it's like everything that's popular and profitable is just a watered down version of something that was originally much more meaningful i don't know like yeah meaningful and true like i'm like with yoga for example like that was the first thing that popped into my head like an ancient tradition that's like supposed to be meditation based and, and it's now, a practice like, sometimes not an you go, exercise right like 
yeah like in its original yeah. form and like you go on youtube and sometimes i'm like this is fucking blasphemous <laughs> yeah. like it's like get that booty going yeah. ladies and i'm just like you know whatever like let the people do yoga i'm not saying don't but like it does come a point where it's like you're not doing yoga you're doing that, stretches that, and exercise yeah, like, get rid of your and cellulate like, and abs yeah. yoga in five minutes or it's like guys, <laughs> the classic <laughs> phrase namaste in bed Uh, (laughs) there's so many shirts with that on it (laughs) Uh, another thing that got me thinking was when the um indigenous designers like the actually indigenous some of the these designers were saying you know when they market their products they're being very careful and thorough and like they're uh being true to themselves and stuff like that but then i was like you know like you're participating in this market economy like to what extent is this just another brand and like mm-hmm. it, can you really be like true to yourself and authentic and like ancient and shit and but then like and are you also participating right? in the capitalist system and you're you know also you can't like control the day you're yeah, selling you can't a product control who's buying it so like you mm-hmm. you're probably selling to like some white ladies that are like marching yeah, yeah the white ladies that yeah. you just like were shit talking it's like I don't know. Yeah, this or is, should they buy yeah, it or not? Yeah. Like, I don't know. So, what do we do like, here? <laughs> this is like sort of similar with my recent venture. I like, Sean was like, wow, my man, like, I am so happy for you to be buying clothes from less fortunate people and then selling them for 10 times the price to people <laughs> online and saying, yay, like sustainable fashion. I was like, yeah, that's true. I just realized now too, I'm literally wearing a sweater with like Cree on it. <laughs> Perfect. I'm one of these white ladies. I just looked down to check if I was. I do not own anything like that. Yeah, I guess it's hard with like current brands too because there really isn't any truth in it. You can't really figure anything out unless you personally know someone who works for the company, right? So you just kind of have to, on a case-to-case basis, like figure out as much as you can yeah. and I I, str- like, I struggle with buy the, thrift everyone with, then you never have to deal with this problem I, I I mean this is a this could be a whole episode but I do struggle with the with the cultural appropriation argument and um, how specific people get with it and it's yeah, like yeah. even even like with movies with someone playing someone darker skin than them even though they are also african-american and then people are mad that they darken it's just i i don't know like no one's ever gonna be happy yeah. and i don't yeah I there re- was that whole thing recently with gal gadot just got picked to play the new cleopatra and like the big cleopatra movie and everyone's like fuck that cleopatra was african she was black she was brown blah, blah blah and she was like and she didn't even say anything she was just like hi i'm doing this role and everyone was like she's israeli also like cleopatra was fucking greek and syrian like what are you people even fucking talking nobody even knows what's going on and more everyone just wants to be offended or on a team offending someone else like it's just like where does it end i i my friend was telling me this story about um she's japanese and uh in japan they had some like museum or fucking like something where um americans came and they'd walk around and they had like kimonos for them to wear as like a fun little thing to like walk around and they didn't want to wear it because they didn't want to do cultural appropriation and like these japanese people were like what's what's wrong (laughs) wear the fucking kimono what's the big deal it's not like a sacred garment it's just a fucking sweater there right but like it's like everyone is so like on edge now or like one of my friends went to a wedding of her friend who's pakistani and they had everyone wear saris Mm -hmm. and it's like again that's okay it's a sari is not a sacred garment and and it's your intention like you're you're wearing it to celebrate a wedding of someone who's pakistani you're not going out like making fun of someone Look wearing at me. a sorry. Yeah, you're not like, like, like you're not anyway. pulling a Trudeau. Yeah, you and, have like, to dressing as a fucking genie or something. Yeah, you have to weigh the like the cost of things, and it's like in in a movie or something. It's like, is it worth 
that if like this story is being told and this is a story that wouldn't have been told before and i'm not saying a white person should play a black person but i mean there's obviously like there's lots of middle ground and it is just like this culture of one-upmanship where it's like i'm the most smart about and i'm the most good if i'm the one who can find out what's wrong with what you're doing and it's like that's not actually how it it sucks because like i I expected from all of this shit because obviously there is a lot of good that's come from like you know stopping racism and all the shit that's been happening the last like decades you know but at the same time like i i want to see something happen for that line like can we just make that line a little (laughs) bit clearer so everyone isn't fucking jumping over it at all times attacking each other like just tell us just god please tell us what's okay and what's not (laughs) um just let us know i just like this is like off topic but you guys remember speaking of gal gadot the imagine video from (laughs) oh my god (laughs) that like just came back into the zeitgeist because i guess sarah silverman like not really apologized for it but like mentioned it and she's like yeah it was like really cringy and like Kristen Wiig like kind of like roped me into doing it and I was embarrassed <laughs> wait did they did they explain uh, why they did it though did they realize it was so embarrassing Kristen, after she, or? Uh, Sarah Silverman have. was specifically mentioning why she did it and it was Kristen Wiig emailing her being like because I think she was in a movie with Gal Gadot, I think Wonder Woman. And she was like, oh, it's like just meant, and Sarah Silverman is like, what is this for? And she's like, it's just like meant to cheer people up. So they did it. And she's like, yeah, it was like really fucking tone deaf and like embarrassing. And like, uh, but yeah, Sarah Silverman was like, I purposely did it like silly so I could like distance myself from it. But I guess Kristen Wiig like recently emailed her and apologized. It's like, I'm so sorry. That's That's hilarious. Yeah. Gal Gadot talked about that and she's just kind of like yeah that was a bad choice sorry guys (laughs) and that's like all she said I was like that's the way to do it you know (laughs) yeah I can respect that we all make mistakes Gal Gal okay shout out to Graham and his buddy for suggesting that story by the way if you guys want to hear us talk about something please let us know also shout out to the next story that's going to be presented our buddy Paul you Thank Shout you. out to our male listeners. Yes. We love you. But I also, I just want to say, I appreciate that they, they've they they've sent voice notes specifically. I don't know why, but that has <laughs> become like the trend. Well, as in the yeah, only we, two things that we've we gotten. Love we it. love Keep the them coming. Paul, we love, we love your accent. <laughs> also, hi, Paul. Yep. I haven't talked to you in a long time. How are you? <laughs> Wait, but, so the Brayden and I have the top of the sandwich. <laughs> that um, dirty old top. <laughs> yeah. It may be soggy. Uh, okay, anyway, so we are <laughs> going to talk about, because Paul suggested, I mean, we, we've we been meaning to talk about this, like we went over it right after it happened, but that was when there weren't a lot of details that came out, but we're going to be talking about what happened in Portapique with the Nova Scotia shooter and Port-a-pique. all the different things that have unraveled with that case. Um, so to start off, I guess, like we'll just do a brief update on what's been going on yeah what's why is it back in the news so there have been more court documents released so a judge approved the release of six more of approximately 23 judicial authorizations the rcmp obtained since the massacre so these included um searching his properties his financial records um etc um and in these documents uh the gunman's spouse said that she was present as he doused the cottage in gasoline. It also gave a more legitimate timeline of what happened with her and how she hid in a forest for the whole night. Mm-hmm. Uh, the documents have been heavily redacted. Um, they do include information on how the gunman procured the decommissioned RCMP cruisers, police equipment, and financial transactions months prior to the attacks. 
Um, but the documents being heavily redacted is actually quite a common thing in investigations. And it seems that governments always stall and redact information. And in this case, they were saying there was a significant lack of resources. So money and people uh, to assign to the investigation due to COVID, uh, which led them to initially announce the case to be held as a joint review instead of a public review. What's the difference between those? Fine, so this is like, this was from a couple months ago, but a joint review was announced until there was a large outcry from families of victims. So a review panel does not have the power to compel witnesses to speak under oath or produce documents. And any information collected would have been kept confidential until a report was issued. And in contrast, a public inquiry, which is what the public and families of the victims wanted, um, mm-hmm. is a process that provides more authority, openness, and accountability than a joint review. As it and, must and hold- is joint review conduct is it's conducted by the RCMP, correct, or like a facet of the RCMP? Like, um, I think officers and like government officials. And then I, I've also okay, so, read the people who do joint reviews too are like ex RCMP or like retired RCMP or whatever. So I, I feel like there's a little bit of a bias doing a joint review. Yeah, there's of like that a panel because and the RCMP is being doors. investigated, right? So yeah, mm-hmm. so it sounds like so so. But why do people want a public inquiry? Like, what so, is the is it the the way it was handled or is yeah. it like mm-hmm. the his background or what's the so there's more openness in an inquiry and there are open hearings which will be able to give authority under the Federal Inquiries Act to summon witnesses or require them to provide evidence as well as the power to subpoena documents. So victims' families specifically want an inquiry because it can compel testimony. I think this also had a lot to do with um, uh, the emergency alert too, right? Because they didn't send out an an emergency alert until the next day. So that was a huge part of why everyone wanted the review because they were like why the fuck didn't this happen kind of thing yeah yeah so they like they wanted to know because they there have been a lot of criticisms to the rcmps um regarding the response during the shootings as well as prior knowledge of the gunman's alleged uh criminal behavior so they want to know like how did the killer manage to evade police for 12 hours driving around killing people in a replica police cruiser why did the mounties not put up roadblocks call in other police forces mm-hmm. fail to issue an emergency alert to warn the public about the danger what and then they also want to know like what the police knew about the killer whether they had a relationship with him and why they didn't act on previous complaints against him yes so this is so interesting to me there's a theory about his origin yeah origin (laughs) also just to sum up like the provincial government government did finally agree in late july to launch a full-scale public inquiry because there was major pressure coming from legal experts, senators, politicians, and sub-liberal MPs. I guess there... So just to start, we'll get into like Gabriel Wartman's background in just a little bit, but there were a lot of criticism, obviously, with the RCMP's incompetence. Um, Not only during what happened, but afterward, the victims' families believe they were misled by the RCMP about what happened. Some victims' families have said they were told by the RCMP to watch the news for updates about the investigation rather than receiving this information directly from them. Um, And the police responded to this by saying, like, in the beginning, they finished informing families about deceased relatives um, the day after the shootings. And the reason for the delay was to ensure victims were properly identified before notifying families. And then later on, during the investigation, when the family were finding out information 
from the press releases, the mm-hmm. police were saying, well, they didn't want to disclose certain details because this could jeopardize their ongoing investigation, including the possibility of tipping off anyone who might have assisted the gunman. Yeah. But like details kept changing from conference to conference, which was really confusing people. And then again, the police responded saying, well, it's an extremely complex, complex investigation. And the reality is that people give us information and that information is interpreted. So they, the police are saying, well, we had eyewitness accounts that were later changed the story because we acquired substantive firsthand evidence. Mm-hmm. So I just wanted to ask you guys, like, where do you think is the line to be drawn with like the victim's families getting this information um, and allowing the police to also properly investigate and focus on the details? Um, probably imminent danger. Like, it's probably, again, a hard judgment call. But if if revealing information would make the situation worse or make it much harder to bring the criminal to justice, then I guess there's an argument to withhold it temporarily as long as afterwards they can, like, make up for that. Um, But I don't know. It's a little (laughs) odd just from where it happened because of the scale right because it is a small town everybody knows everybody and everybody's kind of like waiting for the same thing so it's like just i, I don't know i don't know it's like why yeah, not just I, tell the community it's like there's the whole community's struggling like why not give them something to focus on something you know like as much information as they can possibly have to understand why the fuck this happened to them yeah i'm not sure like in this case i think they're like scrambling and freaking the fuck out which i mean we'll get to um in a second i don't know if there's necessarily like any ill intent behind them not being able to like call every single person that was affected and tell them all the details um i think it is extremely complex so much happened in those 12 hours but i think the most interesting thing is the conspiracy (laughs) around this and i think that's why people are also wanting to know the quote-unquote truth yeah what's the conspiracy more investigation and documents have come to light in the past couple months people have found out more and more how fucked like gabriel wartman was and how many violent offenses he's had in the past he attacked his father in the caribbean he like had beat numerous the shit accounts. out of him. Yeah, <laughs> like he, he had numerous accounts with him. the police at his creepy denturist office. He had that, yeah, I was gonna say he had that creepy denturist office. He punched that fifteen-year-old kid in the head. The law. <laughs> they took that down. They took down yeah. the the denture. Good call. Or whatever. Um, so going to a crime museum. There were obviously so many red flags that led up to the he massacre. He had an association with the Mexican cartel. Did they know that before? Um, no. So this is what we'll get into. So. Um, the narrative changed directions once Paul Polango, uh, he was he co-authored that piece in McLean's where they exposed a theory that Wartman had been working as an RCMP informant. So Polango became consumed by the case because of quarantine and started digging and researching. And he even began to receive tips from locals. As Ainsley, you were saying, like people talk. It's a really small town. People know one another. Mm-hmm. And he found out that Wartman's close neighbor slash friend Peter Griffin. Jesus Christ, <laughs> um, hey, Peter. And uh, he had Peter. been previous. Hi, I'm Peter, Peter Griffin. Griffin. Had um, been previously true. arrested and charged for smuggling drugs and had ties to the La Familia gang, which uh, has connections with the Mexican drug cartel. And Peter Griffin was the one who printed Wartman's decals for the cruiser, and he initially lied to the police about his involvement. Oh, and so. Uh, 
Paul Polango thought this was like quite curious, not only that they were very close buddies, but also I guess the RCMP, when they found out that he had produced the decals, they didn't charge him when I think he was already on like probation or something. I think it's because it's he wasn't driving the cars. So they were like, yeah, you can do whatever you want. Cause he would just tell them like, oh, I'm restoring an old like cop car to its former glory. He wasn't driving them around. So they were like, there's nothing we could do about it. Right. Yeah. I guess it's just this drew suspicions, I guess, from Paul Polango because he was like, he has followed the RCMP in their behavior for a long time. Um, and he thought it was very suspicious because RCMP trademarks everything and they're extremely intense about their territory and copyright and stuff like that. So he was like, why actually was nothing else done there? And then the biggest mm-hmm. thing in terms of the conspiracy was why Wartman took out 475 grand from a money depot like a week before of his yes it's his his account though that he's always used yeah so he called they called the brinks truck to deliver this money to him and there's all this speculation around where he got lump sums of money from because with these recent court documents released financial info shows that fintrack which is kind of like an oversight company that looks over different like financial transactions they found three questionable transactions, so two cash deposits in 2010 totaling 200 grand and another for 246 grand. And he had been his PayPal had been flagged for suspicious activities in the past. And mm. Polengo followed the money and theorized that the large sums of money were from the RCMP for information because the money went through all these different avenues that are usual routes for when money is like being laundered for informants mm-hmm. yeah and he okay he also said there was a couple of informants who said that's very typical for informants to take out that much money like lump sum and it's like i can't even take out like 200 dollars with my bank fucking freaking yeah. out so how the fuck is this random guy who probably has like criminal charges taking out four hundred thousand dollars like there's no fucking yeah. way he had to be he an just informant. calls brinks and it's like hey bros <laughs> <laughs> yeah they're like what's the passcode and he's like frogs and they're like okay and like the I don't know. So there's his spouse also recently stated or his like past spouse recently stated that he did begin to have major COVID fears and he was really afraid of the pandemic and he also was paranoid and was heard saying that Trudeau was going to hold and control all his money. So that was perhaps (laughs) why he took it out. But then there's also apparently like multiple arrests and shakedowns on recent gang activity in the area, like a couple weeks prior to Wartman's Mm. rampage. So perhaps is this the same paranoia gang? I'm not sure. I think that they're like, like, is this this informant shit linked to his neighbor or is this a completely independent informant thing based on other shit that we're not sure about yet? I think there is just a shit ton of gang activity there because of the closeness to the border Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. I think it's quite easy to smuggle things back and forth but I think that it is believed that he had close relations with Peter Griffin um, (laughs) probably because of their mutual ties to gangs another another thing that makes me buy the informant theory is that he had all these weird crimes in his past that he got away with Mm -hmm. like he had all these firearms and there was like record of um the rcmp i guess like doing a check on him and saying it was fine i don't know like if you know more about that and then there was like he had like a lot of speeding tickets in a very short amount of time and Mm -hmm. and there was like other informants saying like yeah that's how they kind of like talk to you without people knowing 
Like they stop, they pull you oh. over and they're like, so what did you get on whatever? But it looks like they're just giving you a ticket and then there's record of you getting a ticket and that's how you can talk to the cops without whoever you're snitching on, yeah. um, knowing that you're a snitch. <laughs> um, but I just, I just feel like it explains a lot. Like I feel like it's just too weird. Like the, the money, the, the withdrawal thing is just too crazy to me. I just feel like it there's no way. Yeah. And then the like crimes and like these like weird um, associations that he didn't get booked for. I feel like flesh it out for me enough that I'm like, I'm kind of buying it. There are many times where people who are like almost like anti-conspiracy theorists are like, you're just like randomly pulling these dots and connecting them together. But there are like, there are way too many quote unquote coincidences. And I do feel like the government also wanting to push for a review at first was indeed because they didn't want to have an inquiry because they didn't want to have to be subpoenaed for all these documents and witnesses or whatever that may have more information that he was an informant and that's why they've been dragging their feet on this whole thing yeah and like it would explain why they were super weird after the crime was committed and they had they weren't like responding correctly because maybe they didn't want people to find out also like justin trudeau like right after like i don't know how like involved he'd be in something like he banned um assault rifles or whatever right after and Mm -hmm. that just like really shut everyone up and, and it was just something like for him to do to just like shut things down. And I, I find that interesting too when politicians do that. They, and everyone was like, but this doesn't address it at all because he stole these guns. But it's just like such an easy way to just like shut things down. It makes it seem like he's doing a good thing and that he's looking out for the victims when really they're just like, it's all part of this fucking cover up. Yeah, and I... I think it's it's interesting, especially with situations like this, where it makes it clear how like government bodies operate behind the scenes, because Bill Blair, who's the Solicitor General for um, True Daddy and um, <laughs> and MP Fury are the like key ministers that have to do with this case, like who are assigned this. And they were both former senior police officers and they were both pushing for a review as opposed to an inquiry. While meanwhile, guys, like this was all happening a couple months ago when the weed charity scandal was happening and perhaps the push to have a review instead of an inquiry by bill blair was due to his ties and relationship to the rcmp and the fate of the trudeau government was hinging on whether the mounties were going to launch an investigation into the Wee scandal right you know mm. like there's all these different things um it's all fucking connected and i was reading an article and a political insider stated in my experience politicians are afraid of the rcmp and that goes for 30 years mm. so really yeah just like what was he gonna do with all this money like he he's gonna take his money shoot a bunch of people and then disappear well he was crazy clearly yeah. so who knows he was gonna like stuff it under a mattress and like fucking it's also sp- crazy shoot anyone too. in the face who can try to take it from i him. think the most terrifying part of that whole thing is like obviously it's a fucking tragedy and like terrible but it, can you imagine <laughs> if they hadn't found him because it was complete happenstance that I he know. that like at the gas station at the end he had switched cars like he went to some random woman's house killed her changed his clothes switched cars took that car so they they, they didn't even know that they were supposed to be looking for that car because there's no way for them to have known and then he just stopped to get gas and a fucking unmarked cop was at the gas station and that's when a shootout occurred and he died like what what the fuck are the chances of that like imagine if he had escaped it's it so boggles weird. my mind yeah like luca magnata yeah. i i think that he was like <laughs> almost <laughs> crazy obviously and had so many like psychological issues but i think that he was paranoid that he would be found out for being a snitch yeah. um and then being an informant would be so yeah stressful. and then i think that yeah. he went to take out all his money hide it and then like something broke in him and then he had this rampage and i don't know but. like leonardo dicaprio in um what was the movie called 
the movie where he and um oh wait it's not it's not leonardo dicaprio is it <laughs> i have no idea what you're talking about at yeah, all wait, what movie <laughs> Um, it's the movie with Jack Nicholson where there are gangsters and oh, yeah, it is Leonardo DiCaprio and it? Matt Damon. It is, yeah. Thank God, all the okay, all the all stars. That's a good movie. <laughs> Matt Damon is good. not attractive. I don't I don't get it. He is in a way. Um, oh, okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> he looks like an inflated baby. I don't get it. Okay. Um, so the absolute <laughs> unit of the the week is a uh, quote unquote nicole uh that's the only name she provided <laughs> uh, she's a mysterious lass yeah, isn't and she? so uh nicole i'm doing quote things uh call her nikki <laughs> i can't do that um <laughs> all nikki's are mean uh also. agree do you guys agree with that i don't think agree. i know any nikki's so this nikki no, is I think all nikki's a are- reformed <laughs> Nikki, I guess, because she stole, <laughs> like, it was so. like 15 years ago, she stole some artifacts from Pompeii on a visit to Italy, and um, she recently returned them to uh, the tourist board with a note apologizing and blaming her her bad luck since then on her having stolen them. Um which, Makes sense. Which she blames on being young and dumb. But there's a quote from her that says, bad luck is something that has plagued my family and myself ever since. I'm now 36 and I've had breast cancer twice. The last time resulting in a du- double mastectomy. So um, she's the absolute unit, I guess, for returning them. But... Uh, also stealing. Also she's, a, stealing she's a double-edged them, yeah. unit. <laughs> and also for being cursed by an ancient, like, relic. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, apparently, apparently cool. like, everybody who steals shit from Pompeii is cursed, so... But I think... I never She made this. a good decision bringing it back. There's a lot of curses. Sonia! <laughs> I thought you were just gonna stop there. There's a, there's a lot of curses. <laughs> I mean, like, there I are. Like there's a lot of... <laughs> I like turtles. There's a lot of curses associated with people who, like, opened the Egyptian tombs yeah. and who, like, fucked around in there. They all died. And they just opened one recently, and I was like... Okay, so there's gonna be like a coronavirus too now. I hope because, like, obviously, on like the more like logical level, she's obviously like externalizing her bad luck to this. But I hope that like it's kind of like has the effect to uh, help her, and like she'll she'll obviously start like have a new perspective. So maybe like she'll kind of uh, materialize. Her breast cancer gets cured. Like good things, and she'll also how she becomes a girl boss. All these like wonderful things. How did this come about too? Like, did she just email someone from CBC, being like, "I have a spooky story for you"? Like, I I did this. Like, how did this get into the news? It's so weird. They turned them over to the police, so I don't know if it was her that released the story, or like maybe they asked her because they found out about the story. Oh, I right. hope it's the latter because that's like more authentic and funny. <laughs> but uh, she must imagine really getting that call. So we that. hear that you stole something from Pompeii and you recently <laughs> handed it back in. Why? It's I funny. would never fucking do that. That's obviously gonna bring you yeah. bad Canadian luck. news. Eh? Can't get enough of it. I guess people Americans would probably be like, "Oh, that's so Canadian for her to return it," and then she'd be like, "Sorry." And people are really affected physically and mentally by guilt and shame. She must have been holding on that's to that true. decision. Perhaps maybe that's like the stress led her to get maybe breast cancer. Yeah, there curse. could be no. definitely some reasons for that. Steal should, something from Pompeii, and you she get would, your she would obviously taken. she would obviously always be like thinking she has bad luck, so she's gonna 
find things <laughs> to make her believe that what is that <laughs> yeah. called confirmation bias or whatever yeah or she's actually cursed or she's cursed i mean that's the easier answer. i think she was cursed to be honest uh stealing yeah. shit from ancient which grounds. one of you said you <laughs> hope she's a boss babe now not no. I. definitely <laughs> not i <laughs> i think uh, i said it and i, I said it, it, Sonia you know good things are gonna start happening so <laughs> breast cancer cured come becomes a boss girl, my girl audio boss, so brayden you, know, you can things. never say girl boss you're like bray boss <laughs> Bra- boss brayden <laughs> <laughs> I can't. I cannot like fully hear everything because my internet's glitching out. So I just heard like boss babe amongst like a swarm. <laughs> on a on a personal okay. level, I got like a creepy guy message as like everyone gets sometimes, and it specifically said, "I'm really attracted to the fact that you're, uh, I think, a boss babe or so like some variation of that." <laughs> yeah, I meant to send Ew. it to you guys, but he saw that in me. Decide. Yeah, I was gonna say, where did he formulate that? I think I truly opinion. think because it's like based. It was in my message request on Facebook, so he could only see my profile picture. So I think he truly formulated it on the fact that I'm wearing high heels in my profile picture. Yeah, I was gonna say, are you? Do you have a lot of pics with blazers? <laughs> no. on? I'm dressed like fancy. But I mean, he was right. I am those things. So. Yeah. Uh, since we're doing so many shout outs this episode i wanted also to shout out to natalie for submitting an absolute unit unfortunately that was before our hiatus hiatus <laughs> so please continue to send those in and uh we also got this lovely message from graham this is a very graham heavy episode um because we've been soliciting people for their patriotic moments so here it um, is hello ladies the terry foxy ladies you have asked of me to tell my story, stories. Actually, I asked you if I could tell them. (laughs) In grade nine, there was the Terry Fox run. For whatever reason, I decided to fucking skip it with a couple of degenerate Georgetown people, I'm sure. Went to the Tim Hortons to, you know, probably get a fucking coffee. There were a few teachers that were there just remember the one teacher who's a religion teacher and he was just appalled with our actions and basically was like yelling at us with the vice principal there being like can you believe this these guys are in grade nine like why would they do this terry fox is a legend like blah 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 and then uh just a little fun fact for whoever gives a shit um i worked for a company called Artcast for about five years and we made bronze uh, statues and sculptures, monumental, just any art related stuff. And one of them we did was a monument for Terry Fox and that is in Toronto. I do not know the location, but I could definitely find that out. Um, It was a really cool thing to be a part of. and uh yeah i'm proud of it so that is really all i wanted to say feel free to edit this out or not use it at all i love you guys see ya that was patriotic good story graham thank thank you graham (laughs) um we ask everyone to please submit your patriotic moments could be related to terry fox could be related to canada day could be related to ice skating or playing hockey anything send us a voice note and if we like it we will feature it. also just like a little housekeeping shit too we have made the executive decision to go down to episodes once every other week so little less of us but Except More for the occasional bonus content. episodes. 
Yeah. Which will be next week. So shout out to Backwash for winning the Polaris Music Awards. If you haven't heard our uh, episode on that, take a listen. And uh, we're going to have a guest next week on to talk about the Canadian music industry and Polaris mm-hmm. and all that. So if you mm-hmm. love music, <laughs> tune in. If you're cool, if you love you music, better tune, tune in. in to the Terry Foxy Ladies Late Night Show. Sorry. I'm so okay. Sorry. Don't apologize for doing the right <laughs> thing. Okay. <laughs> Bye. All right. We love we you. Love you. Goodbye. Love you, dear listeners. <laughs> and one, two, three, stop. <laughs>